0: But I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Aaron. Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Welcome in. Jim Cal NASCAR icon. Dale Earnhardt podcast. Jr. Kirk, Kirk Herb Street Jr. is on, on the phone. Podcast. It is Friday, in November 10th, yeah. oh, Hope so everybody awesome. is doing well. Yeah. And hope everybody is ready for what should be a fun few Days, weeks, and months in sports. I mean, we got a busy weekend in college football coming up. Next Tuesday is the first day of college basketball season. So much to get into, so much to preview. Here is a rundown of today's show. I want to start with something that's kind of an extension of Wednesday's episode. I obviously had a reaction to the college football playoff poll, and I believe the biggest story since then has kind of been Cincinnati. A lot of you have asked me, Torres, what is Cincinnati, what needs to actually happen for Cincinnati to get into the college football playoff? So we will talk about that. I will give you my opinion about what ha- That has to happen not just on the field, but off the field as well as I believe Luke Fickle is making a major tactical decision in how he is handling the situation. From there, we'll preview a fun weekend in college football, LSU at Bama, Auburn A&M, Nebraska, Ohio State, Tennessee, Kentucky, on and on and on and on and on. We will take a quick break, and we will wrap on some college hoops. My buddy Mike Boynton, friend of the Eratores podcast, he went off, and with good reason, Oklahoma State has been suspended from the 2022 NCAA tournament. I will tell you why this is ridiculous, preposterous, and absurd. But before we get to the meat of the show today, I do want to welcome back our favorite partner, and that is DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. And so many of you ask me, you always say, Torres, what can I do to help? Love what you do. Love the Aaron Torres podcast. Love the YouTube channel. Love your writing at Aaron Torres Online. Aaron, how can I help what you do? Well, here's the deal. If you live in one of these states where DraftKings Sportsbook, where online gambling is legal, go ahead, sign up as a first-time user. And first-time users have an incredible deal from DraftKings Sportsbook right now. Here is the deal that DraftKings is offering specifically for listeners of the Aaron Torres Podcast. This is an incredible deal. You bet $5 on any pro football game, okay? Any pro football game. If that team wins, all they got to do is win. Not money line, not uh, over under, nothing like that. Just win the game. You automatically get $200 in free cash courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. So go pick a game. Somebody's playing Jacksonville. Somebody's playing Houston. Pick the other team. Bet $5. You win $200 when that team wins. How do you take advantage of this offer? Again, this is for first time users and this is what you have to do. Click the link in the show description below. If you listen on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you do, there is a link to DraftKings Sportsbook. Click that link, sign up for a new account with DraftKings, and make your first deposit. Make a $5 money line bet on any team. And if your team wins, you get an automatic $200 thanks to our friends at DraftKings. It's the best deal in sports betting going. You want to help Torres and Torres Media, go ahead, click that link, and sign up now as a first-time user. I should mention... If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline at one 800 889 9789, of course, in Tennessee. Must be 21 or over to enter, 18 or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $1 wager. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I am back, good to be back, good to be back, and let's get into the topic of the day here, and let me just say this. Outside of uh, stripper monkeys at Texas, and I think you know what I'm talking about, and if you don't, you can Google it. Outside of Stripper Monkeys in Texas, not a lot has happened on the off the field going on in college football since the last time that we spoke, and so because of that, what I want to do now is instead kind of go back to the lead topic on Wednesday and kind of expand on it a little bit more. That topic, of course, was the college football playoff rankings, and on Wednesday's show, I did, in fact, talk quite a bit about it. You probably heard it already, but if you didn't, my main takeaways were didn't love Alabama at number two, not saying they can't get there, not saying they wouldn't be favored against everybody other than Georgia in college football, but if we're basing this on resumes, I don't believe that they have the second best resume and are deserving of that number two spot at this exact moment. I did like, however, uh, putting Oregon ahead of Ohio State. I believe head-to-head wins should matter, especially on the road, so credit to the committee for getting that one right. Finally, my main takeaway was I just didn 't like what they did with Cincinnati, and to be clear i don 't think that Cincinnati is necessarily the second, third, fourth, best team in college football right now, but I, I you know and again, I understand if you put them on a neutral field with Cincinnati or with uh, Alabama, Alabama would be heavily favored, but at the same time, I do believe two things: I do believe wins on the field should matter, and again, I understand cincinnati 's schedule overall does not uh, compared to Alabama's or Michigan State's or Ohio State's or even Oregon's by the end of the year. They will not be comparable. But at the same time, I believe wins on the field should matter. Cincinnati is undefeated. And more importantly, Notre Dame is really good. Notre Dame is by the committee's own measurement a top 10 team, which means that outside of really Michigan State and Oregon, Cincinnati has a better best win than anybody in college football. Better than Georgia? Definitely not saying they're better than Georgia. Better than Alabama? Better than Ohio State? Better than Michigan? Better than Oklahoma? Cincinnati's best win is better than most teams in college football. That should matter. At the same time, it clearly doesn't. And at the same time, as I explained on Wednesday's show, I really believe that the committee is already setting up the scenario where one of two things can happen. A team ahead of them can lose and not fall below Cincinnati. So for example, if Michigan State does in fact lose to Ohio State in a couple weeks, the committee could say, Well, Ohio State was already ahead of Cincinnati. They're ranked number five. Gotta keep Michigan State in the top five if they lost to Cincinnati or if they lost to Ohio State. But then two, I also believe the scenario is being set up where the committee can now move teams ahead of Cincinnati if they continue to win. So as an example, Oklahoma currently sitting at number eight. Well, if they beat Baylor and Oklahoma State, who are both in the top fifteen, that will be an opportunity for to, to use the excuse to move Oklahoma ahead of Cincinnati. And so I don't believe Cincinnati's in a good spot. I know they're number six, but I don't believe that they should just be happy to be there and happy to be ranked as high as they are as the highest ever group of five team in the initial playoff poll. I believe they're better. I believe they deserve better. And what has happened over the last couple of days is a lot of you have asked me, okay, Torres, well, what actually has to happen? What has to happen for 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 Cincinnati to get into the actual college football playoff. I also would say this is probably the single biggest talking point in college football right now. Just listening to other podcasts, listening to radio shows, all that good stuff. A lot of people are talking. Is it possible for Cincinnati to get in? Do they deserve to be ahead of Alabama? Whatever. We can debate and discuss deserve. But what has to happen for Cincinnati to get in? One, we will talk about the the on-the-field stuff that has to happen for Cincinnati. And two, I believe that there is a very tactical thing off the field that has to happen as well. And so let's get into it because I believe there are really four key points to Cincinnati getting into the playoff going forward. The first, it's the most obvious. Cincinnati's got to win out. Um, they have a schedule to do it. Obviously, we know, again, the schedule is not as challenging as a lot of the teams that they're going head-to-head with. And when you look at the schedule, outside of a game with Houston that and is 7-1, and 3-1 in the AAC, SMU, by the way, should... I think I said Houston, but SMU is the team on the schedule, the best team left on their schedule. SMU should be ranked in the top 25. They're not. This shows a little bias from the committee in the first place, leaving out a 7-1 and SMU team, leaving out a 7-1 and Houston team... But first of all, Cincinnati has to win all of those games if they play SMU on November 20th, which will obviously be two weeks from this Saturday. If SMU keeps winning, they will be in the top 25. So Cincinnati, the first part, the most easy part, they have to win out. They just have to win out. No ifs, ands or buts because a one loss Cincinnati team. I don't care how much carnage there is going forward. Doesn't matter A one-loss Cincinnati team is not getting into the college football playoff. They'll put a three- or four-loss Alabama team in before they put in a one-loss Cincinnati team. The second thing that I think has to happen from Cincinnati's perspective is this. They really need Notre Dame to keep winning. Notre Dame is the best win on their schedule, and as I said a minute ago, You could argue it's one of the two or three best wins in college football right now. The only other ones that are comparable are Oregon winning at Ohio State. And of course, outside of that, Michigan State beating Michigan at home. The best thing that Cincinnati can do, besides continue to win, is continue to have Notre Dame win, and I do think it works out really well for Cincinnati, because Notre Dame has a very manageable schedule going forward, and the ironic part is, I don't even think Notre Dame is that good this year. I watch them, I like them, I don't love them, they don't do anything at kind of an elite level, but they just keep winning games, as a credit to Brian Kelly, and you look at Notre Dame's last four games, Navy this weekend, at Virginia next weekend. Georgia Tech and then at Stanford to close the year that is a very manageable schedule to go 11 and 1 now whenever you rely on Notre Dame to do something for you I don't know that they're always going to necessarily come through but if you're a Cincinnati fan hope that Notre Dame which is currently 7 and 1 finishes 11 and 1 I think even 10 and 2 probably keeps Notre Dame probably somewhere in the top 10 to 12 of the final polls so as long as Notre Dame doesn't have a complete meltdown down the stretch that's a great thing for Cincinnati and then the committee has already shown that head-to-head wins matter, again, with the Oregon-Ohio State situation. So your hope is Notre Dame keeps winning, they keep moving up the poll, and then the committee has already backed themselves into a corner that they are going to value head-to-head wins, especially on the road, which means, in theory, you would think that Notre Dame cannot pass Cincinnati. So if Notre Dame gets to six, seven, five, somewhere in there, in theory, you would have to think that Cincinnati would continue to move up and continue to stay ahead of Notre Dame. What else has to happen with Cincinnati? The third part, it's carnage. Plain and simple, Cincinnati needs a lot of teams to lose ahead of them, and I will say this. Some stuff has already started to break well for Cincinnati. Teams like Iowa taking weird losses that basically knocked them out is huge. Penn State losing to Illinois, knocking them out is huge, but they still need a lot more help going forward, okay? Let me kind of lay out, and I'll try not to get, if this team beats that team but loses to that team and then this team wins on... I'll try not to do that. Let me try to keep it simple for a Cincinnati fan or just a college football fan listening. The first best thing that can happen to Cincinnati, Oregon loses. Oregon is the only team left from the Pac-12 with a realistic shot at making the college football playoff. Oregon currently sitting right now at, uh, they are currently sitting, excuse me, at seven and one. Every other Pac-12 team has at least three losses right now. And so a second loss for Oregon, especially because the first loss was to a bad Stanford team, would eliminate the Pac-12 from the college football playoff conversation. Two, they need carnage in the Big Ten from this perspective. You currently have three teams with either zero or one loss in the Big Ten. Michigan State is undefeated at 8-0. Ohio State is 7-1 and with the loss to Oregon. And Michigan is 7-1 and with the loss to Michigan State this past weekend. The good thing is, of those three teams, two more teams will take a loss at some point because Ohio State plays Michigan State and Michigan plays Ohio State, obviously. So because of that, you have two more losses coming, which means in theory, at least one of those teams is going to end up with two losses. It could be Ohio State if they lose twice to Michigan and Michigan State. More likely, it means that Michigan will lose to Ohio State, eliminating them. At the same time, you got to make sure that the other teams take at least one, that every team outside of whoever ends up winning the conference has at least two two losses, okay? So if that means Michigan State upsetting Ohio State to knock them to to 10 and 2 at the end of the regular season and Michigan State going undefeated, that doesn't matter. If Ohio State runs the table, beats Michigan State, you better hope that Michigan State loses to somebody else. And we're going to talk about Michigan State playing Purdue this weekend because that's an interesting scenario. But the big thing in the Big 10 is you need everybody other than one team to have at least two losses. Because I truly believe the way this thing is being set up, they are going... I don't believe that Michigan State will get dropped too far if they only lose to Ohio State. Um, And if Ohio State beats Michigan, if Ohio State... Uh, you know, excuse me, if Michigan somehow beats Ohio State, they would jump Cincinnati. So I know I'm kind of all over the place right now, but you need teams to lose. The other advantage, by the way, Michigan still has Penn State. So Michigan has Penn State and Ohio State. Ohio State has Michigan and Michigan State. Michigan State has Penn State and Ohio State. So you just need everybody except for one team to finish with one loss. And we assume that there will be a Big Ten team in the college football playoff. Finally, I would say, even before that, the Big 12, I think we're getting a Big 12 team. Oklahoma at this point would have to lose twice. I don't see that happening. If that does happen, it probably means that Baylor or Oklahoma State would finish with one loss. So I'm going to assume that we get a Big 12 champ in the college football playoff, and, and I'm hoping for Cincinnati's case, you only get one Big 10 representative, and then finally it comes down to the SEC. And listen, we can argue it, we can debate it, SEC bias is real. Some of it I think is justified, by the way. We know they have the best recruiting classes, we know they have the best coaches, the best fan bases, the best facilities, the most NFL draft picks. Nobody would argue that the SEC is better. But part of the college football playoff should be based on merit, and so the way that I see the, the SEC going down right now is pretty simple. First of all, the best thing that could happen to Cincinnati, Georgia, just keep steamrolling everybody, Okay. Georgia needs to win out. We need to not worry about Georgia uh, getting to the getting to the SEC championship game with uh, you know losing in the SEC championship game, whatever. But then the next scenario is this, and this is where I am a little bit torn. If Alabama loses in the SEC championship game as the number two team in the country to the number one team in the country, Georgia, I don't know that they would fall out of the top four. I think the justification would be that if Georgia is the definitive number one team in the country and Alabama loses to them and doesn't get embarrassed, they will still stay in the college football playoff picture. Yes, I can see the scenario where Alabama as a two-loss team stays ahead of Cincinnati. So really, the best thing that could happen to Cincinnati is Alabama loses before they get to the SEC championship game again. Looking at Alabama's schedule, they play LSU this weekend. Next weekend, they play in a game against um, they play in a game against New Mexico State, then Arkansas, then they close with Auburn. So, to all the Hogs fans listening, do us all a favor. You don't want Alabama in the playoff. Beat them, and then of course, if Auburn were to pull off the upset, then it would mean that Alabama would have two losses if they even make the SEC championship game. If you want a perfect best case scenario. Texas A&M winning this weekend against Auburn would drop Auburn to two losses, and then Auburn beating Alabama in the Iron Bowl would mean that everybody in the SEC West ends up with two losses. If A&M runs the table, they would go to the SEC Championship game as a two-loss team. I don't know that they'd beat Georgia, but the point is, you don't want Alabama winning out and playing Georgia in the SEC Championship game with one loss, because I think the committee will figure out a way to justify keeping them in the college football playoff picture. As I mentioned, by the way, so that's what has to happen on the field. Okay, so let me let me even backtrack. That's what has to happen on the field. Cincinnati has to win out. Notre Dame has to win out in a best-case scenario, and you need carnage. I do believe there is one other factor to this as well. I think Luke Luke Fickle needs to pick up a microphone and start talking. And a couple things. I get why a college football coach in this scenario, he doesn't want to say too much too soon, right? You don't want to say too much too soon because you don't want to put yourself in a situation where, one, your team gets distracted or two more importantly, you're out there yelling and screaming, we're one of the four best teams in college football, and then you go take a bad loss to you know, Eastern Carolina or whatever, East Carolina, excuse me, not Eastern Carolina, East Carolina, you take a bad loss to South Florida, you take a bad loss to Tulsa, whatever. I get why college football, play, why college football coaches don't want to do this. I think this is the exception for Luke Fickle, though. I think Luke Fickle has to go into his locker room and behind the scenes tell his guys, look, I am going to go to bat for you. I am going to go to war for you. I need you to go out and take care of the football stuff, and I am going to fight like you for crazy, fight like you, fight for you like crazy. Because at the end of the day, I don't believe that if Luke Fickle is vocal, I don't believe if he fights, I don't believe if he goes to war for his team that anything is going to get done. And I don't think you can wait until after the AAC championship game, that final Saturday in college football. I think it's got to start right now. I think, first of all, he's got to start calling out the committee members by name, okay? If you you saw kind of all the stuff that happened over the last couple days, uh, Luke Fickle, there was kind of a passing comment about being ranked number six to start. Uh, He was doing his radio show when the college football playoff rankings were released, and he was asked about being number six, and he said, uh, did Gary Barter, the commissioner of the college football playoff committee, did he actually play football? That's not enough. That is not enough, that is not going to get the job done. You got to call that guy out by name. You got to do what Mike Boynton, the Oklahoma State basketball coach did. He called out every single member of the NCAA committee that banned his team from the NCAA tournament by name. Luke Fickle's got to go out, get in front of every microphone that he can and say, Gary Barta, I I invite you. Come to practice, come to our games. Get on the phone with me. Let me tell you about our team because I think if you stay in the background, it is not going to work out. Beyond that, Luke Fickle, he's got to take this opportunity to take advantage of every major media platform that will have him. Go on, Paul Feinbaum. Who cares if Paul Feinbaum's gonna ask dumb questions? Who cares if he's gonna ask the tough questions? Who's gonna who cares if he's gonna tell you that the fifth best team in the SEC is better than your Cincinnati Bearcats? You have to go out there, you have to defend yourself, you have to fight for yourself because I don't believe that sitting in the background and hoping that it will work out is gonna work. I just don't believe that is gonna happen. I don't believe it is applicable. And this is something I've seen a million coaches do before, and I just don't get it. I used this example a few weeks ago, but I was talking about James Franklin, how the best year he had at Penn State was actually year three, where if you remember, they won the Big Ten, they beat Ohio State head-to-head, and Ohio State still got into the college football playoff ahead of them. I said at the time, and I said on the podcast a few weeks ago when I was talking about James Franklin... I said that was a major tactical mistake from James Franklin. James Franklin, I believe in his head, believed, you know what? We're going to have other opportunities. These playoff chances will come in the future. I'm building something special at Penn State. And he didn't know that 2016 would be his best shot at actually making a college football playoff. He didn't fight for his team. He was happy to go for a, to the Rose Bowl. He was happy to not be in the playoff. And I just thought that was a major tactical mistake. I've seen other coaches make the same mistake. And I don't think if you are Luke Fickle, you can make the same mistake. I know you want to stay in the background. I know you don't want to put too much pressure on your players. I know you don't want to look bad if something crazy happens and you end up losing a game. But at the same time, I see all these comments about I don't do style points. I don't know if you saw this, but he was asked a few weeks ago about style points. He said, I don't do style. My wife picks out my... You can't do that right now, Luke Fickle. If you want your team to earn their spot into the playoff one they have to take care of business on the field but two you have to fight for them it continues to amaze me all these football coaches I just want to stay in the background I just want to focus on today we're focusing on Tulsa we're focusing on who we're playing this week college football coaches by nature sell their programs every day they do it to recruits yet you won't go public and sell your team on why they should be one of the deserving four so Luke Fickle I'm just telling you, if you're a Cincinnati fan, send this to the sports information department, tag them, tell them that Luke Fickle has an invite on the Aaron Torres podcast. I will fight for Cincinnati as hard as anybody. But he cannot sit in the background. He cannot wait. He cannot hope that come the last day of the season, they're undefeated and he can start fighting for them then. That's what's going to happen. I know it. I've seen it happen a million times. But if Cincinnati really wants to get into the college football playoff, that is what Luke Fickle has to do. Woo, what a segment. That one was fire. You talk about fire? That was freaking fire. This is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I do want to come back, and we will get into the Week 10 slate in college football. A really, really interesting slate, really exciting slate. I'm looking forward to talking about it. A lot of good games, a lot of interesting games. But I do want to take a quick break because I'm all fired up. I will be right back momentarily. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Don't know what to say. Was fired up talking Cincinnati. I get fired up. I don't know what you want me to say. I'm not going to apologize for the fact that that I just believe that if you're Cincinnati, if you're Luke Fickle, you can't do the football coach thing of, oh, just, you know, we don't worry about style points. We're fi-. No. Go out. Protect your guys. Fight for your guys. Go on fine bomb. Do what you got to do. I'm sorry. I'm fired. I'm more fired up about this than most Cincinnati fans are right now but you got to do it, Luke Fickle. With that said, let's get to the week 10 slate. Week 10 slate, interesting slate. So be, what's interesting about the week 10 slate is I transition from yelling and screaming about Cincinnati. What's interesting about this week 10 slate to me is this, is that um, there's no really elite games outside of Auburn and Texas A&M, but if you need a metaphor for how crazy this season has become, LSU Bama is this week and nobody's talking about it. I mean, this used to be one of the signature games on the schedule every single year, as recently as last year, and now it is completely flying under the radar. It shows you how weird this year is in college football, and it shows you, frankly, how far LSU has fallen in this kind of landscape in college football, and frankly, why they're looking for a new head coach. So let's get into it, let's talk about it, and let me say this. Um, If you listen to this podcast, not just when I was yelling and screaming about Alabama a few minutes ago, I don't believe that this is a vintage Alabama team, okay? I believe that they have real flaws, but I am just not sure that this LSU team is the team to expose them. First of all, I know I've talked about it a ton before, but LSU is so banged up right now. Um, You know, Alabama throws the ball as well as anybody in college football, well... LSU's top two corners who are both going to be first rounders, Derek Stingley and Eli Ricks. Derek Stingley this year, Eli Ricks next year. Both of them are out with injury. Starting safety major Burns, out with injury. Your best wide receiver, Kayshawn Boutte, love that name, favorite name in college football. He is out in this game. And so when I look at LSU, there are ways to beat Alabama. I'm just not sure that you can do that. Beyond that, what concerns me about LSU coming into this game is a few things. One, Did you hear that Coach O press conference a few days ago where he was basically asked about, hey, did you self-scout your team this week during your bye week? And he was just like, yeah. And then he basically listed off everything that they did wrong and threw his entire team, his entire coaching staff, and himself under the bus. Did you hear this? I'll try to figure out a way to get the audio in. But he's asked about self-scouting and he basically says like, yeah, well, we did self-scout. Uh, Our offense isn't good enough, our defense isn't good enough, we're too predictable on first downs, we're too predictable on second downs, we're too predictable in running plays, we're too predictable in passing plays, I mean, he just destroyed everybody, and so it's clear to me there's a disconnect between him and his coaching staff, between the coaching staff and the players, and then what I would finally say, I say it all the time, to beat Alabama, you have to be dual purpose, you can't be one dimensional, you can't only do one thing well. And LSU, as good as they were running the ball a few weeks ago against Kentucky, even in a loss, and certainly against Florida, they regressed big time against Ole Miss, 77 yards on 31 carries, basically two yards per carry against Ole Miss. And you look at that situation, and I look at LSU and I just say, can't run the ball, coaching staff disconnect, this is not the year to beat Alabama. And the crazy thing is, like I said, I do think Alabama has real holes. 18 they've given up 18 sacks in eight games this year the offensive line is not performing at the level that they have to the defensive backfield is not playing at the level that they have to 53rd nationally in pass defense Hendon Hooker the Tennessee quarterback was playing on one leg and threw for 300 yards last week or a few weeks ago so this just feels like a bad spot to me Alabama is a 28 and a half point favorite I think that actually feels about right and finally what I would say is this Alabama is a team this year that has been up and down, back and forth all season long, okay? Uh, Alabama has been inconsistent. The only consistent thing about them has largely been their inconsistency. But the one thing about Alabama is, most of those guys, they don't really have much to really fire. Like, Like, when you play at Alabama, you're everybody's biggest game. Every game is just another game to you. This game, though, they do have real motivation, and let me tell you why. Remember two years ago, remember what happened LSU with Joe Burrow came to Alabama Bryant Denny Stadium and beat them beat them 46-41 Tua himself was basically playing on one leg and after the game do you remember what happened Coach O gave this impass- impassioned speech about, we just beat him, and guess what? This is just the start. We're going to beat him on the field. We're going to beat him in recruiting, and he goes on and on and on and on and on, and this video gets recorded. It gets leaked out. I think it was a kid actually on Instagram Live that played for LSU, and Coach O ended his speech by saying, roll tide, what? you? Well, this is the first time that Alabama will be hosting LSU since that speech, and I'm just telling you, I, I think they're coming for blood. I think the Alabama fans are coming for blood, and I think it could get ugly really, really, really quick. All right, let's switch gears, talk about some of the other games from this weekend, uh, and I'll give my, my my weekend picks at the end of this segment as well. Um, but first of all, the other really interesting one, the only matchup of ranked teams, Auburn against Texas a and I had uh, Auburn fans mad at me this week, but let me explain why. Before I do, what I would say is this. You know that meme that you see on social media sometimes, Spider-Man pointing at you, he's pointing at you, they're pointing at each other, who's the real Spider-Man? That kind of feels like this game, doesn't it? Both teams are run heavy, both teams are run dependent, both teams don't want to put too much on the plate of their quarterbacks. Both teams want to rely on the defense and the run game to take care of business against their opponents. Why do I bring it up? It is because, uh, well, that's why I bring it up, but to even backtrack, why are Auburn fans mad at me? It is because I had the audacity to say exactly that in my write-up at Aaron Torres Online, and Auburn fans were so offended. Bo Nix is a different player. You clearly don't watch Auburn. Have you not watched him play lately? We rely on Bo Nix for an awful lot. And what I will say Bo Nix has looked actually a little bit better uh, over the last couple weeks. I will absolutely give him credit. In the last two games, Bo Nix has completed 22 of 30 passes in a win against Ole Miss and 21 of 26 passes in a win against Arkansas, basically completing like 75% of his passes over the last two games. At the same time, I still believe, especially in a hostile environment, especially on the road, I believe that Brian Harson is, is going to want to take the ball out of Bo Nix's hands as much as possible in this game, and with good reason. You don't want to make dumb mistakes, especially on the road, especially a good te- against a good team like Texas A&M. And so I bring all this up to just say, Auburn fans are mad, but I truly believe that's going to be the game plan. And I unfortunately believe for Auburn fans that that plays right into Texas A&M's hands. Statistically, the defense, specifically the run defense, is good but doesn't appear to be great on paper. But here's the thing. The run defense has actually been awesome the last couple weeks for Texas A&M, Texas A&M also, by the way, is coming off of a bye. But that run defense they have in the la- in three of their last four games have held the opposition under 100 yards rushing. The only game that the opponent went over 100 yards was Alabama, the number one team in the country at the time that they played them. So A&M is doing a good job of limiting the run, which is what Auburn's going to want to do. And then on top of that, uh, A&M is running the ball very effectively themselves. They have rushed for over 250 yards in each of the last two games, and they are coming off a bye and in theory should be refreshed. And so when you look at Auburn, this was the other part that Auburn fans got mad at me about, but you look at their resume. I'm not saying they're bad. I think they're ahead of schedule with Brian Harson. I think they're doing a really good job under Brian Harson. What I would say, though, is here are their last four SEC games. Beat LSU 24-19, trailing by two scores going into the fourth quarter, rally to win. Okay, congratulations. Lose to Georgia, okay, it happens all the time. Everybody's gonna lose to Georgia this year except maybe one team, who knows. Beat Arkansas in a game where you are outgained by the opposition, and then you play Ole Miss last week, fifth SEC game in a row, five straight SEC games in five weeks for Ole Miss. They were beat up. They were down about a million bodies in that game. And so you go through the last four games, the last three wins, a fourth-quarter rally against LSU, a game against Arkansas where you get out-gained by Arkansas in a win, and you play Ole Miss where Ole Miss is beat up. And it's also worth noting, by the way, in that Ole Miss game, and I think this is important, they only scored three points after halftime. And in a beat-up Ole Miss defense was able to slow them down. I believe A&M will be able to do the same. Because of it, I like AM to win this game. Real quick, let's go through some other games. Uh, first of all, Ohio State-Nebraska. And if you listen to the college football betting show, I do two college football betting shows a week. If you're interested in listening, it is college football betting with Aaron Torres. Um, but what I do is early in the week, I just have that first reaction to the opening lines in college football. And then as the week goes on, I do my homework, I do research, I do everything that I need to do and I come back out and I put out my official picks and I talk about them on the College Football Betting Show, although I don't actually put out picks on the College Football Betting Show, just make some suggestions. Okay, So why do I bring it up? It is because a lot of times I will think one thing early in the week and then the homework, after I do the homework, it, I, will, I will feel differently later in the week. Nebraska-Ohio State is not one of those games though, and let me explain why. Nebraska, I talked about Scott Frost on Monday's show, um, maybe a little bit presumptuous to assume that he is definitely done at Nebraska, but he is three and six. This is year four for him, and things are not changing very quickly at the same time. What I would also say is this: if you pay at all attention to Nebraska, you know that every single game they play is a nail biter right down to the wire and they can they simply just have not been able to close out games and part of it is because their quarterback Adrian Martinez is very turnover prone especially at the worst possible times. If you follow college football, you know. This is a kid that turns the ball over at the worst possible times all the time. It is like clockwork. It's unbelievable. Why do I bring it up? It is because Nebraska is 3 and 6, okay? I'm not saying they're going to beat Ohio State this weekend, but in terms of the betting, in terms of the DraftKings sports book, it's a 14 and a half point spread at DraftKings. And what I would tell you is this, I think Nebraska can keep it close, and I'll tell you why. Every single one of their losses, they are three and six, all six have been by one possession. They lost by eight to Illinois. They lost by seven to Oklahoma, where they left six points on the field because of special teams. They lost by three to Michigan State in overtime. They lost by three to Michigan when they were driving to win the game. They lost by seven to Minnesota, and they lost to five last week by Purdue. So they have six losses, all by eight points or less. Three of those losses are to teams that were in the top 25 of the college football playoff poll, two of them to losses that were teams in the top 10 of the college football playoff poll, including a three-point loss to the number two team in the country in overtime, Michigan State. I believe Nebraska can keep it close. I will also say, as it pertains to Ohio State, um, you know, I I talked about it a little bit on Monday's show. A few weeks ago, I proclaimed them to be the definitive second-best team in college football, that may have been presumptuous. Now, it may look stupid. They may win by 40 on Saturday, but what I am just telling you is that Penn State game, I'll tell you, I came away a little bit like, that team has some work to do. You ain't playing Rutgers in Maryland anymore. In that Penn State game, I thought they were surprised by the physicality early of Penn State. Now, they were able to manage it late, but if you look at that game, Penn State actually had more first downs, Penn State completed a, converted, excuse me, a higher percentage of third downs, Ohio State really struggled there, and Ohio State, they win by nine, one of their touchdowns came on a scoop and score by a 300 pound defensive tackle, Penn State has a score come off the board because the wide receiver steps out of bounds in the process of making a catch. Either of those plays get switched, we're talking about a one point, two point game coming down the home stretch of this game. And so I'm just saying, I think Ohio State's still probably the best team in the Big Ten to me. I don't think they're flawless, and I do think they can be beaten. I don't know if it'll happen on Saturday, but Nebraska historically has played teams very tough going forward or in the past, excuse me. Really quick, let's rip through some of the other games. Uh, Tennessee at Kentucky, really interesting one, and and I'll say this, is, is I know I have a lot of Kentucky fans that listen, you guys are gonna be mad at me. What I would just say about this one, I've been waiting kind of a while for the Kentucky, for the wheels to fall off with Kentucky. It did last week at Mississippi State. It'll be interesting to see if they bounce back. Many of you are probably sitting there saying, why would you want the wheel? Why do you say the wheel? Here's the thing. Kentucky does two things. One, they turn the ball over way too much. Turned it over four times last week against Mississippi State. They are now ranked dead last in turnover margin in college football. Nobody turns the ball over more while turning the opponents over less than Kentucky does. The fact that they're 6-2 and two is kind of incredible. My buddy Matt Jones, I saw him tweet that out the other day. On top of that, I've been saying this for weeks. I heard all offseason how different this offense was going to be. Liam Cohen, new coordinator. It's going to be so different with Liam Cohen. And I'm not even blaming Liam Cohen. I thought he had a great game against Georgia. But let's look at the offensive output for this team the last couple weeks. Uh, You beat Tennessee Chattanooga. Here are the last five games for Kentucky. Six-point win at South Carolina. By the way, that was another game where you turned the ball over a million times, three times to be exact in that game. Uh, So three turnovers, 16-10 wins, six-point win over South Carolina. From there, you play Florida. Great win. Not trying to take anything away from Kentucky, but you got six points on special teams. Florida outgained you, okay? So, 14 points in that game, 16 points against South Carolina. You beat LSU, great win. Not going to take anything away from that. That was the best game they played all year. Georgia, you lose. Everybody loses to Georgia, no shame in that. And then the Mississippi State debacle. And so you look it up, and if you take out that that LSU game, even if you include the LSU game, for their last five games, the offense has not put up more than 17 points against any opponent, Tennessee is going to put up points. Like, you can say anything you want about Tennessee, Josh Heupel, this, that, the other thing, Hendon Hooker can move the ball, like I said, Hendon Hooker threw for almost 300 yards against Alabama on one leg a few weeks ago, uh, he is obviously, he and Tennessee are coming off a bye, they're refreshed, Cade Mays, the best offensive lineman on the roster, is expected back in this game, and so I'm just telling you, not telling you how to bet, not telling you what to bet, but this this started out as Kentucky minus five, it was down to a pick'em the last time that I saw, and it's with good reason. I think Tennessee is coming off the buy and playing really well and playing really confident, and then you have a Kentucky team, which it's just really interesting. They have struggled here over the last couple weeks, uh, and they need to start taking care of the football. They really do. Staying in the SEC, really quick, we'll start to rip through some of these other games. Uh, Mississippi State-Arkansas, you talk about a game that I have just no idea how to project. This blew me away when I looked it up. Mississippi State, I think we all know, like to pass the ball, right? Mike Leach, uh, Air Raid, probably heard of it. They're number one in the country in pass offense right now, number one in the SEC. Why do I bring it up? Arkansas? Oh, they just happen to have a top 10 pass defense in college football. So you'd think advantage Arkansas, right? Well, here's the thing. Um, uh, What was I going to say? Arkansas, they really like to run the ball. Not sure if you saw uh, the Texas game. They stuffed it right down Steve Sarkeesian's throat, whatever. Mississippi State has a top 10 run defense. And so what's interesting to me is you have strength on strength for both of these teams on offense, and so my hunch would be just take the under if you want to bet the game. But this is just one where I have no idea how to even project it because everything that Arkansas does well, Mississippi State defends well. Everything that Mississippi State does well uh, on offense, Arkansas defends well, and so you look at that. I don't really know what to make of it. Now, I would say I think Arkansas's pass game with KJ Jefferson is better than Mississippi State's run game. Mississippi State doesn't even try to run the ball, so that's worth considering. But in terms of a game uh, to project a number, a point spread, whatever, I just have no idea what to make of this game as Arkansas now down to a four point favorite. The over under is set at 55 and a half. I probably would take the under if I was betting it, but I am not betting it. Finally, a couple other games. One, back to the Big Ten for half of a second. I mentioned it a minute ago, Michigan State playing at Purdue. Michigan State is a three-point favorite. A lot of you probably sitting there saying, Michigan State, number three in the country, why is that point spread so low? What I would tell you is a couple things. One, first of all, and this is important to note, um, Michigan State has one weakness as a football team. They do not defend the pass well. They rank 127th nationally in passing. That is the worst passing defense of any Power 5 team. Louisville is second worst, by the way, fun fact on that. Um, Purdue is a top 20 pass defense in college, or top 20 pass offense in college football, second best pass offense in the Big Ten behind only Ohio State. And so I don't know if this is the week Michigan State gets tripped up, but let's also call a spade a spade with Michigan State. Three-point win in overtime against Nebraska. Uh, Seven-point or four-point win against Michigan where they trailed whatever it was by 12 points going into the fourth quarter or 12 points at one point in the third quarter, whatever it was. Rally to win that game. I give them a ton of credit. I'm just saying this team is not infallible. They're not running through everybody. This is one that, that you know, from a betting perspective, I would stay away from, but fascinating nonetheless. Real quick, uh, a couple ACC games. First of all, North Carolina-Wake Forest. You like points, this might be the one. Last year they played, it was 59 53 was the final score. Wake Forest, I don't think people realize. First of all, they are not as far from the college football playoff picture as you might think. Currently ranked number nine. It is because of their offense. They currently rank in college football in terms of scoring offense, most points scored. It's Wake Forest. Wake freaking Forest. Chris Paul, Tim Duncan. Ain't walking through that door. Spencer Hartman is. Uh, They currently rank in in college football, scoring offense. They currently rank fifth nationally in scoring. They have scored at least 35 points in every single game this year. And I'll say this, North Carolina gives up a lot of points too. 40 plus points last week at Notre Dame. The week before they gave up 42 in a win against Miami. The week before, 35 in a loss. So they've given up at least 35 a game. Wake Forest has scored at least 35 in a game uh, every game. This is going to be a fascinating game. If you like points, I think this is the one for you. Last last couple, one in the ACC, Clemson. Uh, they are, or they were, they are a four-point favorite against Louisville. I don't like betting road favorites, but... As critical as I've been of Clemson, that feels about right. You go back to that Florida State game. Florida State got two fluky touchdowns. One was on a tackle where the guy's knee wasn't down. He was able to get up, run for a touchdown. The other one was a strip and score of DJ. Finally, I would say about DJ, um, DJ struggled. There's no doubt about that. But Louisville, what did I just tell you? Second worst pass defense among power five teams. Only Michigan State is worse. If there is a game that DJ is going to get right, this feels like it. I think Clemson wins and covers finally last game that I want to talk about Oregon at Washington. Oregon is now a seven-point favorite. Uh, How about Jimmy Lake, Washington's coach? They asked him, uh, you know, what is it like to recruit against Oregon? He goes, basically he goes, we don't recruit against Oregon. We recruit against better academic schools than Oregon. We recruit against Notre Dame. We recruit against Stanford. We recruit against schools like that. We don't recruit against Oregon. Basically calling Oregon a bunch of dummies. Uh, I don't think that's a good move as Oregon continues to play well. We'll see if they can stay hot, keep winning. As I said earlier, they are the only team left that can reasonably make the college football playoff out of the Pac-12. We will see if that happens. All my picks, by the way, at AaronTorresOnline.com if you want to check them out. And with that said, I want to take a quick break. I want to come back, and I do want to very quickly talk about Oklahoma State, the Cowboys. Uh, Crazy story out of college basketball. I am going to yell and scream, get fired up. It's what I do. It's my passion. I got to fight for the little guy Nobody littler right now than Oklahoma State getting dragged through the mud. I give Mike Boynton a ton of credit for fighting for his guys. I will be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Final time today. Final time today. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do want to wrap with a college basketball story That, frankly, we have been covering on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast for, frankly, really four years now, five years now, but really we've aggressively been covering this angle of the story over the last year and a half. I would argue we've covered it better than anybody in the college basketball media over the last year and a half, and that is what is going on, the situation at Oklahoma State with their NCAA tournament ban. And as a quick 30,000-foot view, remember, Oklahoma State was originally involved with the FBI investigation dating back to 2017. They were the first school to actually get hit with NCAA punishment via the NCAA. This was last June. They were given a one-year postseason ban. We had Mike Boynton on the show at that time to talk about it. He talked about it. They appealed the process. They were allowed to play in the 2021 NCAA tournament. And then, finally, on Wednesday, we got an answer to the appeal. The appeal was denied, and Oklahoma State is banned from the 2022 NCAA tournament. And so let me say this. We'll get to the, the small picture, and then we'll get back to the big picture, and then back to the small picture again. Let me just say this. Anybody who listens to this show knows I'm not Mr. Anti-NCAA. I'm not the NCAA does everything wrong. I'm not the NCAA screwing every kid. I think most kids benefit from the NCAA system. It's not just Cade Cunningham and Zion Williamson. There's a lot of tennis players, golfers, cross-country cross country, wrestling, whatever, that uh, that take advantage of the NCA system. At the same time, the NCA is dead wrong here. The NCA screwed up here. The NCA has screwed over 13 kids at Oklahoma State and this is dead wrong. And so let's get into the details cuz I want to make sure to refresh all of the details so that you guys have the full context of what happened at Oklahoma State. Because when you go back to that t- that moment in time, that FBI investigation back in 2017, it was a dark day for college basketball. I think I don't believe we had started this podcast yet. I think we were in the, the you know, me and Nick Coffee are prepping shows behind the scenes and we're doing all sorts of stuff. This podcast had not begun yet. But when it happened, it was a crazy day in college basketball. And you hear these stories, coaches arrested, tens of thousands of dollars funneled to recruits, and you just start to think the worst of the worst. The guy from the FBI goes up and says, we have your playbook. Come forward now or we're going to come find you. And as the details come out, you start to realize this is really, really crazy stuff. Here's the problem, though. The details at Oklahoma State, the punishment does not fit the crime of a one-year NCAA tournament postseason ban. And so let's get into what specifically happened at Oklahoma State. These are not. This is not my opinion, by the way. What I'm about to share with you are facts actually presented to the school by the NCAA. According to the NCAA, they had a former assistant coach. His name was Lamont Evans. He got caught taking eighteen thousand dollars in cash and bribes. That's obviously not good. That's obviously really bad. And on the surface, you say an assistant coach took eighteen thousand dollars, throw all the book at Oklahoma State, throw they have nothing to complain about. Well, here was the situation: after a detailed, multi-year NCA investigation, here's what the NCA found out: of that eighteen thousand dollars, of the eighteen thousand dollars that this assistant coach took, three hundred dollars made it to a Oklahoma State basketball player. That $300 went to a player named Jeffrey Carroll. $300, by the way, can't even get you a meal at some places. You go to Fleming's, I, don't, I mean, I'm not a big fancy eater. I, I'm more of a an Applebee's Awesome Blossom kind of guy, but, uh, or is that Ruby Tuesday's? I don't know, whatever. I'm not a fancy eater. $300 can't even get you a meal some places, okay? Not for two, three people. Jeffrey Carroll gets $300. He pays it back. He gets suspended by the school, and Oklahoma State fired Lamont Evans the second that they found out he was involved in this. And so to backtrack, assistant coach gets caught up in this situation, immediately fired. They do a thorough investigation. They find out the player took $300 in cash, paid it back, got suspended, and that's it. That is it. That That is the totality of what the NCAA found in this investigation of Oklahoma State. Again, not my opinion. Not... Mike Boynton's opinion, it's fact. And I remember going back to last year when I had Mike Boynton on this podcast, I specifically asked him, I said, I don't want there to be any confusion. Tell us what the NCA told you that you did wrong. And he told us that. He said, $300, one player, assistant coach fired. I have not personally been found guilty of anything. No other player took a single dollar from this assistant coach. That is all we have done. And so in the grand scheme of things, take out what happened a year ago, take out what happened two days ago does $300 that was paid back by one player who is obviously no longer in the program five years ago, does that warrant an, a, a one-year postseason ban in 2021, 2022? It doesn't to me, and I would say it. Listen, if somebody's guilty of doing something, if somebody breaks the rules, you gotta be punished, but the punishment doesn't fit the crime, and the one thing that Mike Boynton has said consi- consistently, including on this show, he said that he believed when the initial punishment came out a year ago, He said that the NCAA believed that they had to come down hard after all these cases became public and they were going to make an example out of Oklahoma State and they had already decided what the punishment was before they found out the facts of the case. I'm paraphrasing. I don't want to quote Coach Boynton because I know he is in the fire right now for some things that he said this week, but I don't think he's all that off base. I don't think it's off base to say a one-year postseason ban does not fit the punishment of a $300 transaction to a player who then paid it back. So uh, Oklahoma State gets hit with that postseason ban last year. They appeal it, and it comes through this year. And so when it came through on Wednesday, well, your boy Mike Boynton went apoplectic. And I don't blame him one bit. I think he's 100% right. And again, it comes back to the facts of the case. These are the facts of the case. One player, $300, assistant coach immediately fired. The players that are currently in the program, the players that are currently in the program, Some of them were in middle school when all this happened, okay? Some of them weren't even in high school, let alone college, and those kids are the ones that are now getting punished for an assistant coach that did something back in 2017. Does that make any sense to you? Because it doesn't make any sense to me. Is that fair to you? Because that doesn't seem fair to me. And one thing that stands out to me, we're going to get to some of Mike Boyan's quotes in a minute, but anyone else find it interesting that the NCAA kind of just let that appeal go on all the last year? Because, I don't know, Oklahoma State maybe had the number one player in America, the potential number one pick in the NBA draft, and maybe they wanted him in the NCAA tournament in 2021 after the NCAA tournament got canceled in 2020, and they lost a billion dollars, and now they're punishing this team a year further removed from this? I'm not saying. I'm just saying. But what I am saying is, I give a ton of credit to Mike Boynton because he went nuclear on the NCAA for how they did everything in their decision-making process. First of all, here is one thing that he said uh, talking about about the whole process. He said, um, what did he say? So he said what I just said a minute ago. So, too, is the outcome, not to mention incredibly unjust and unfair. I invite members of the NCAA enfor- enforcement staff, its Committee on Infractions, and appeals, and appeals panel involved in our case to meet with my team to look each of them in the eyes and explain why illicit conduct committed by a rogue assistant coach five years ago, conduct which led to no competitive advantage for our program and for which the coach was fired immediately upon discovery by our administration should serve as a basis for denying them the opportunity to experience postseason tournament play. This is the greatest disappointment of my coaching career. So essentially what he's saying is exactly what I just said. Why are you punishing kids five years removed from something that happened when they weren't on campus? I will give Mike Boynton credit beyond that because you could see as he spoke, there were tears running down his cheeks, okay? And this is one thing, and I've said the name Mike Boynton a lot. I've had him on this podcast a few times. I don't claim to know him well. I, I, I don't hang out with him. I I don't call him on the phone just to make small talk and ask how his kids are. That's not our relationship. I've had him on the show a few times. I find him to be an incredibly, um, you know, uh, just a great young, uh, young head coach. And uh, the one thing that I could say about Mike Wayne, without knowing him personally, it is clear to me that he has an incredible relationship with his players. And I think he's a rising star in this business. I think he is going to be a star for a long time. But the one thing that I noticed in interacting with him over the last couple of years, he clearly has respect from his players. And you can hear it in those quotes. I mean, he had tears rolling down his cheeks talking about the disappointment in his players. But I even go back to this time last year. I go back to when I had him on the podcast in June of 2020. Remember, when that first postseason ban came down, the NCAA said all of the players on that roster could transfer without having to sit out. This was before the one-time transfer rule. And oh, by the way, also, the freshmen could could decommit and go to another school without having to sit out. And of course, they had the number one player in the country, Cade Cunningham, committed and set to enroll and come to campus. And at the time, we all thought, this is going to be free agency. The people are going to pick apart that roster. Cade Cunningham, will he go to the G League? Will he go to another college? Could he go to Kentucky? Could he go here? Could he go there? And you know what happened? Of the 13 players that could have left the program, 11 of them decided to stay. One of the players that left, by the way, was like the the thirteenth guy on the bench. He wasn't even going to play anyway. So essentially, all thirteen guys could leave. You had one player that was going to be a major contributor, Yoranay, who transferred to SMU. Now he's at DePaul. He was the only one that transferred. So if you don't trust how much respect that the players have for Mike Boynton, that tells you it right there, as well as what he said, as well as what he said at that press conference. Secondly, did you see what else he said? Did you see what else Mike Boynton did? He called out everyone on the committee by name. I'm not going to go through the entire quote, but this was the quote that I loved. He's talking about Stan Wilcox, who's in charge of the NCAA enforcement. He said, accountability, this is Mike Boynton talking about it. Accountability is important to me. It's a pillar of our program. Stan Wilcox doesn't get to skirt either. We have a circular game of unaccountability. I thought this was an incredible quote, by the way. We have a circular game of unaccountability. He, Stan Cox, would tell you, it wasn't me and he would point to the people who made the decision, and then they would point to somebody else. Ultimately, he's in charge no different than I had to come in here and answer questions. When we lose, I gotta answer questions. Coaches get fired. There should be accountability at that level too. Let me just say this. I just talked about it a minute ago with Luke Fickle. I love this for Mike Boynton. Because one, first of all, let's give Mike Boynton credit. I mean, in some ways, he's really putting his career on the line. Because there is a history of, if you speak out too harshly against the NCAA, They will hold it against you for years and years and years and years and years. Go ahead and look at what happened to Jerry Tarkany at UNLV. He wrote some negative articles when he was at Long Beach State in the early 1970s, and the NCAA basically was on his, excuse my language, there's going to be kids in the car, I apologize. The NCAA was basically on his ass until 1990 when he had to resign, 91, whatever it was. 20 years they chased him down to get him to resign. So Mike Boyan's putting his credibility on the line, his career on the line, and now he is on the bad side of the NCAA, but I give him so much credit for saying it. And, I, I, and, and like I said, the only way, and I said it with Luke Fickle a minute ago, the only way you get change is by calling people out publicly. Luke Fickle, you want to get Cincinnati in the college football playoff? It can't be a passive aggressive, we don't do style points, we worry about, no, you gotta call out names, you gotta call out people, you gotta call out integrity, and that's exactly what Mike Boynton did, I loved it. Finally, what I would say, I'm, this, this segment's going long, so I don't wanna spend too much more time on it, but did you see what else he did? He basically went through minute by minute, hour by hour, week by week, month by month, everything that he did to cooperate with the NCAA, and then he basically said, by the way, to, to you other schools that are in this mess right now, Don't cooperate with the NCAA because it's going to do you no good. And I hate to say it, but he's 100% right. And that was something that stood out to me too. That was something else that stood out to me was if Oklahoma State gets a one-year postseason ban for $300 to, to a player that he paid back, what about all these other schools? Listen, I love USC. I've fought for USC on this podcast. I thought they were underrated all last year, but they didn't get anything. They were found innocent by the NCAA. They didn't have to miss the NCAA tournament, nothing. Nothing from them. Auburn, self-imposed NCAA tournament ban. Auburn, uh, Arizona, self-imposed NCAA tournament ban. That's somehow better when they're found of just as much, if not more, than Oklahoma State. How about Kansas? I talk about Kansas all the time. I'm not going to go into it. Go and look at what Bill Self was found guilty of. There is a pretty consistent text chain with Bill Self and TJ Gastonola from Adidas, and TJ Gastonola is basically talking about at length how Adidas always makes sure that Bill Self gets taken care of. Are they going to get hit with a one-year postseason ban, a two-year postseason ban, a three-year postseason ban? Because when you look at what Kansas did relative to what Oklahoma State did, I'm just telling you, Kansas is much worse. And so I'm not going to belabor the point, but a couple things. It's ridiculous from the NCAA. They should be ashamed of themselves. Five years after the initial thing that happened with the FBI, you're coming back and you're suspending this team with no players that were on the roster. It doesn't make sense. It's not fair. And oh, by the way, I hope you have this same energy when it comes to punishing Kansas, when it comes to punishing Arizona. I hope Arizona doesn't get off with the self-imposed NCAA tournament ban in a year where they might not go anyway. Or Auburn, and I love Auburn. Bruce Pearl's been on this show. I hope you're not just gonna let Auburn get away with it Self-imposed NCAA tournament ban when they weren't going anyway. Something to think about, but shame on the NCAA. This was really embarrassing. All right, I want to get out of here. This show's going long. Thank you guys for listening to today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Love you guys. So much big stuff coming. I'm going to get out of here, though. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, all that good stuff. Rate, review the show, all that good stuff. Also, you're not following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. You know the deal. I will be back Monday. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to Cocho. I don't even know who I'm shouting out anymore. Shout out to Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle, speak up for yourself like Mike Boynton did. Learn from Mike Boynton. We'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend, guys.